Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 9 through to 14 as our Bible reading this morning uh, before Luke comes up. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness for sins. Well, this morning I want to start by telling you something riveting, a riveting equation for all of us to consider today. Do you know that if you combine H2O and you mix it with sodium, didexyl, benzene, sulfonate, chemical formula C18H29Na035, and you combine it with CO2, solid carbon dioxide, you'll get a very interesting reaction. Who's excited about that? That's great news, isn't it? It's really good. Uh, in English, if you take some water, some detergent, and you add to a dry ice, you'll see some pretty cool stuff. So this morning, I'm going to do that. It's a pretty cool re- reaction, isn't it? And you get these beautiful bubbles, and you can do this. It's like I've got a cauldron or something. I'm not sure how fast this is going to go, but <laughs> if the venue starts to flood, please use the exits. Over there and over there. <laughs> Amen. I don't know how long I'm get doing this for, but it's pretty cool, isn't it? Who would have known that you, you put those things together and you get a response like that? It's pretty amazing. You might want to try it at home, but just do not touch the dry ice and make sure that you're supervised by parents. But you will notice that I told you about something And it sounded riveting. If you're a nerd here today, embrace your nerdhood. We need nerds. Uh, So maybe if you're a nerd here, um, let me just say, if I if I need my computer fixed or my phone breaks down, I'm not ringing a surfer or a sportsman. I'm ringing a nerd. So nerds make the world go around. So if you're a nerd here today, embrace that. Um, We need you. And we're all kind of nerds deep down anyway. But if you're a bit of a nerd here today, perhaps you were riveted by by the equation I shared. You might have heard those terms and those chemicals. and, And you might have been sitting there thinking, I know exactly what he's talking about. And if you do, that's awesome, because I had no idea what I was talking about. Um, But if you grabbed it, you're more intelligent than me. Um, But maybe my guess is today, the vast majority of you here kind of switched out when I was just talking, and you were more captivated by what you saw when those ingredients were combined together, and you got this really pretty awesome bubbles flowing out over the top of the container. I'm sure I captured your imagination and your attention more than when I just used words. What you saw today is really an adult version of show and tell. And today we're looking at mission. 
And the point I want to, really want to get across today in this message is that mission is not only telling the good news of Jesus, but it's also showing Christ to the world around us. As I said before, today is week four of Vision Month. And if you missed the other weeks, you can listen to the podcast on iTunes or via the website. But today, the title of the message as we talk about mission is Enlarge Our Vision. And the reason it's called that is that often when we think about Mission Weekend at church, we think simply of those who are overseas, those who are missionaries on the mission field, out following God's call to go overseas. And and that's an amazing thing when people do that. On the 12th of March, we're going to have our first ever commissioning service as the Rowcrofts follow God's call to Niger in Africa. And we're going to send them off as a church. And that's incredibly exciting, is it not? They are called to a people over there. And they're going to go and leave everything here, and they're going to go on mission to Africa. And that's a wonderful thing. But as a church, I want to encourage those people, and I want to support those people that follow God's call. But today, I want to enlarge our vision of what it comes, what it is when we come to talk about mission. We need to understand that each of us who have been saved by Jesus Christ have been called to be people on mission. Today, the vast majority of us in this room aren't called to go to Africa or overseas somewhere, but we're called to be missionaries in the southeast growth corridor of Melbourne. And with that comes some great opportunities, just like when you're going overseas as a missionary. The same opportunities are here for us to understand our culture, to open our eyes to the needs in our community, to listen to our neighbourhood, and to carry the good news of the gospel into the dark places in our community. And so as we live on mission, we're really joining what God is already doing right throughout creation. And so today, I want to explore this by looking at the theme of the kingdom of God. I think the kingdom of God is something that we don't hear enough about in church. In my church upbringing, I heard a lot about the king of the kingdom, a lot about Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. And let me make it clear today, we can't hear about that enough. That's that's what we want to talk about all the time. He's the one we want to exalt. Jesus is the vision of our church. And it should be the vision of our lives. But unfortunately, my understanding of the king didn't really include a a deep understanding of the kingdom. And while it prompted great gratitude for all that Christ had done for me, it didn't really inspire me to lay my life down for him. Uh, In other words, I had a golden ticket version of Christianity, a little bit like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. I'd got the golden ticket. I'd been saved. My sins could be forgiven. It was a wonderful thing. But, but my understanding was now I just wait kind of until Jesus comes back or I die and, and he transports me up to the clouds where I play a harp on the clouds with the angels. I don't even like harps. And so it didn't inspire me to live for God, to lay my life down for him. But a few years later, when I got a glimpse of the, the kingdom from God's word, it, it literally changed everything. As we look at the gospels, it doesn't take long to see that the kingdom was the message of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, in a passage titled, Jesus Begins to Preach. The very first words he spoke at the commencement of his public earthly ministry were these words. He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of light, they're all synonymous terms for the same thing. And as you read through the Gospels, you'll see that the kingdom is consistently what Jesus focused on. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God because that is why I was sent. As we flip over from the Gospels into Acts, we will see that the apostles in the early church, they carried on the same message. For example, in Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Philip proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God 
and the name of Jesus Christ. The king and the kingdom were proclaimed together. And for us today, as the church, it's the same message. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, it says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And so the kingdom of God was the message of Jesus and the message of the early church, and it should be the message of us, but in many ways, it seems to be a lost message of the church. Somehow the church seems to have proclaimed the king, but forgotten the message of the kingdom. And that's a real shame, because I think there are a few things in life that can capture the imagination and the affection of God's people as much as God's redemptive mission seen in its ultimate form in the kingdom of God. And so the question becomes, what is the kingdom of God? In Australia, in 2017, um, we are a little bit disconnected from kingdoms. It's not really our experience. We are in what they call a constitutional monarchy, but we're really a democratic society, and the Queen is, is probably little more than a figurehead, and her role is almost solely ceremonial. And so often our thoughts of a kingdom go to a faraway kingdom with a, a king and a big throne and a pretty queen and, and horses and battles and shields and swords... And that's just not part of our everyday experience. Maybe for some of you, your idea of the kingdom is, is shaped predominantly by um, Game of Thrones. And you watch Game of Thrones and you see this kingdom over and over again and a kingdom with all of its kind of violence and activity. And, and that's kind of your view of what a kingdom is like. And so there's a disconnect, really, between us and a kingdom reality in terms of earthly kingdoms. Now, in Jesus' time, it was very different. The Jews were very familiar with kingdoms and more to the point, an empire in their time. They were under Roman rule. And so their idea of a kingdom was a big, powerful, kind of grandiose empire ruled by great military and also political strength. And so while the Jews were oppressed by Rome, they knew what a kingdom was like. But while they were being oppressed, they too had a hope for a new kingdom. From their understanding of scripture, they were waiting for a Messiah, and their understanding was that this Messiah would be a great political ruler, a military ruler, and he would lead God's people to rise up against the the might of Rome, to overthrow Rome, and to establish the kingdom of God on earth where they would reign and rule with this Messiah. That was their understanding, that they would become the superpower of the world as the kingdom of God was established on earth. And so it's into this environment that Jesus kind of steps into human history. And it's not long before the Jews start to see who he really is. John the Baptist has been preaching and teaching that they should repent for the kingdom of God is near. And so when they start to see Jesus, they start to um, wonder and then some start to believe that he's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And so you can imagine what it would have been like when Jesus came to earth, when he started to do incredible things and people thought maybe this guy's the Messiah. The excitement would have been at fever pitch. The anticipation of this kingdom would have been so exciting as they thought the promised Messiah is here and it won't be long before we are reigning and ruling on earth with him. But it's not long into Jesus' ministry life that he presents um, that he is the Messiah, but this kingdom is not like the earthly kingdoms they're used to. The kingdom that he's talking about seems to be kind of an upside down kingdom, a kingdom that's not ruled by power and control but rather rather by serving and sacrifice. A kingdom that's not going to be set up in a giant castle with a big throne. In fact, the kingdom of God was already in their midst. In Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him the question, when is the kingdom of God going to come? Jesus replies, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. 
nor will people say, here it is, or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus Christ was the embodiment of this kingdom he came to introduce. Now, this would have been completely confusing for the Jews because they had a different expectation. But what Jesus is teaching them, and we'll start to show them throughout the rest of the Gospels, is that the kingdom of God is not a typical earthly kingdom, but actually it's found in every place where God reigns and rules in and over his creation. And so our definition of the kingdom of God today is simply wherever God reigns and rules. Now, the first thing I learned at Bible college about the kingdom of God was that the kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. The kingdom of God is now, but it's not yet. And so let me start by explaining how the kingdom of God is not yet. If you've got your Bibles, you can flick over with me to Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to read verses 1 to 4. Sanji said before, there's Bibles on the aisle there. If you don't own one, you can keep that one. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, one of my favorite passages in all scripture. This is a vision being given to John on the island of Patmos. And it's a vision about what's going to happen when Christ returns. Starting at verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. This is a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like in this heavenly kingdom. And it says, They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. This is a beautiful picture of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. You know, one of my favorite bands is U2. And the lyrics of one of their songs is really powerful. He says, I've climbed the highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you. I have run, I have crawled, I have scaled these city walls only to be with you. I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds You loosed the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We believe in and we have hope in a kingdom that in many ways is not yet. A kingdom where every nation and every tribe and every tongue will be in complete unity around the throne of God. A kingdom that is so breathtaking that there's no boredom. There's no hate. There's no fear. There's no death, a kingdom free of disease and suffering and loneliness and isolation, a kingdom centered on God, characterized by peace, overflowing with joy and held together by perfect love. I want you to imagine what it will be like living in that kingdom. I want you to be captivated today by this biblical vision of the kingdom of God, this not yet kingdom, which is incredibly powerful. I want to focus on the beauty of that kingdom today. Because we're not talking about an enchanted make-believe kingdom. We're not talking about a fairy tale, but rather we are reading about our future in Christ. 
God has written down what our future is going to be like. And in Christ, we have a future that is magnificent. It's beyond our wildest imagination. It's beyond anything we can even start to dream about or imagine. It's incredible. It's the kingdom of God. And today, I want us to be captivated by this biblical picture, not because it's only a not yet kingdom, but because I believe that we can start to participate in this kingdom now. Because when we stack up the future kingdom against our current experience, it's kind of easy to see how it's a not yet kingdom, isn't it? You look at the news at night, you think, yeah, well, it's a not yet kingdom. But it's not so easy sometimes to see how the kingdom of God is now in our midst. It's a little bit harder to see that. A couple of months ago, I was at the cinemas watching a movie. And before the movie, on came a couple of previews. And the first preview was the one um, of the movie called Lion. Who's seen that movie? I haven't seen it yet, but I watched the, mo- the movie trailer, and it looked like an epic story of a young man who was adopted at a young age, but as an adult, he wants to return to India to find his family that he was taken from, and it was a really, really moving preview. It was one of those previews that at the end of it, you could hear kind of rumblings around the cinema as people said to their partners, I really want to see that movie. Now, people were captivated by a short trailer, a little glimpse of a not yet movie. They saw it in micro form in this preview. And that little snippet of the movie that was not yet caused me to think about the movie when it was released and I started to plot, how can I get babysitters? How can we have enough money to do this? How can I get away to see this movie? Because it kind of captivated me. I saw a glimpse of this not yet movie in the present. Now, straight after that preview was a preview for um, Shades of Grey 2 or whatever it's called. I don't even know what it's called. Um, But I've got to say that particular um, little preview had a completely different impact on me. I watched the preview and I, I got to the to the end of it and I thought, well, that looks like a complete and, and load, of, load of crap and, and I don't ever want to see it. I wasn't captivated to see it at all and I thought that looks like complete rubbish. And so when it was released, I'm, I'm not going to rush to the cinemas to see Shades of Grey 2. Both were previews. One captivated my heart, the other one turned me off. Michael Frost, in his book Surprise the World, compares our lives to a movie trailer. He says, trailers are tasters. They're short version, film versions of the soon-to-be-released feature. And they usually include the best special effects or the funniest scenes or the most romantic moments of the upcoming feature. Now, watch those around you, as I did that night, in the theatre and at the end of each trailer. If it's done its job, usually one person will turn to the other and say, I want to see that movie. He says, this is a great metaphor for the missional church. If it does its job well, people will see what it does and say, I want to see the world that they come from. This is very biblical, isn't it? Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good deeds and they will glorify your Father in heaven. There's a lot of talk these days about the church and what it does well and what it doesn't do well. And a lot of people talk about the church and whether it should be attractional, where we kind of draw people into what we're doing, or whether it should be missional, that we we kind of go out and reach people outside of the four walls. I actually think that both are important. I think both have their place. Um, If I was going to err towards one, I'd I'd err probably towards missional rather than attractional, but I think they both are an important part of what we do as a church. But I think that what's more powerful than being attractional or missional is actually becoming attractive. 
Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about being good-looking people. Um, clearly, when I look out here today, we're full of a, an auditorium full of amazingly good-looking people. It's like God said, we want you to plant a church in officer, and he called all people from the ends of the earth, the best-looking ones, and he's put them in this auditorium. And if you're listening to the podcast today, you'll just have to take my word for it. But incredibly good-looking people I'm looking at today. But I'm not talking about being physically attractive. I'm not talking about dulling down the lights and getting a smoke machine and putting up some bright lights and making it kind of like a constant. I'm not talking about that kind of attractive. I think one of the dangers of the attractional church is that we feed into the selfish, self-centered culture of our world. That if you come here, we'll give you everything you want and we'll put on a great performance for you and it'll be kind of like a concert and, and we'll, we'll keep you entertained and, and that really works until the church down the road does something more exciting and a bit louder and, and brighter lights and more smoke machines and then they chuff off down the road to the next church. And so we kind of feed this selfish culture that we have. Whereas when we become attractive, and what I mean by that is that people see Christ in us, what we do is we don't feed our culture, but we present a counterculture something that's upside down, something that's different, something that's Christ-centered, something that is radically attractive to people in our world. We need to be a counterculture, that Christ would be seen in and through our lives. Frost calls it living questionable lives. He says, when people see us loving one another, forgiving those who hurt us, when they see abundant generosity with our time and our energy and our finance, when they see us serving in our local community, our lives should appear so radically different that from the world around us, so supernaturally attractive that it causes people to ask questions. Questions like, who are these people? Why would they do that? What's so different about these people? Who is this Jesus that they keep talking about? And as I was thinking about that this week, I I started to wonder to myself, what preview of the kingdom has the church, God's people, presented to the world around us? Is it an attractive preview that people go, yes, I want to see more of that. I want to find out what it means to be part of the feature, the kingdom of God. Or is it a little bit more like Shades of Grey? Where people look at us and they see a church worldwide that seems to be dull and lifeless and boring, irrelevant, known more for its hypocrisy, judgment and abuse than it is for radical love. And I wonder if they see the preview that we presented and think, if this is what Christianity is all about, If this is what it means to to follow Jesus, just a dry bunch of rules and regulations where we pretend everything's fine when really it's a bit of a nightmare, then, then I want nothing to do with it. Count me out. If this is a snippet, if this is a preview of what the kingdom of God is like, then I'm just not interested. And we could sit around today and we could mourn that, or we could see it as an incredible opportunity. And I choose to, to be an optimist. I see it as an incredible opportunity for us as individuals and as a church to change the preview that we are presenting to people, that it might be something that they may want to experience themselves, whether it's in our workplace or whether it's in our, at our food van or whether it's gathered to here, together here on a Sunday morning, people should look at us and see us to be obviously different to the world around us, not in a, a weird, kooky, judgmental way, but in a way where they'd go, wow, if this is what it means to follow Christ, I want to be part of this. How can I come to know Jesus? And so we've read this morning what this not yet kingdom looks like. But what Jesus came to announce is that it's here. It's now. It's in our midst. And as we live kingdom lives for Christ, and as we share his story, we give people a little glimpse, a little preview, albeit an imperfect one. We give people a little snippet of a not yet kingdom in the now, in the present. 
In today's passage from Colossians chapter 1, it describes the kingdom of God as the kingdom of light. In the preceding verses, it talks about what those in the kingdom of light will look like. It says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the will, sorry, fill you with knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives you. It's very hard to be under the reign and rule of God if you don't know God's will. And so as God's people, this is why the word's so important, this is why fellowship's so important, this is why gathering together and prayer is so important, because we need to be people who understand and discern the will of God. And it says as we gather together, we'll do that as the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. It goes on to say, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, doing what? Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As God's people, we should be fruitful and joyful and grateful and faithful. And as we live those kinds of life, we are radically attractive to a world around us that lacks so much in those things. When Jesus embodied the kingdom here on earth, He said, I am the light of the world. But then before he ascended into heaven, he changed his terminology. And he said, it's it's better off for me to go. Better off for me, the Son of God, to go and to leave you. Because when I leave you, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And he will fill you. And he will be with you and in you. And you will be my witnesses to all the earth. You will do greater things than I have done. And it's better off that I go. And he changed his terminology to say, uh, from, 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 from um, he is the light, I am the light of the world. He changed it to, you are the light of the world. This is the mission we've been given. And so we've read about this not yet kingdom, the kingdom of light. But he makes it clear that we're his ambassadors, we're his co-workers. We are representatives of the kingdom of light in this present world that the Bible describes the dominion of darkness. And as so we, as, as we live out this, this life where we are the light of the world, where we are living according to God's will, in the midst of the darkness, we start to push darkness back and we give people a little glimpse of this not yet kingdom in the now. This is what I love about the kingdom of God. This is what excites me about it so much, that the same Jesus who saves us now calls us to be part of his great redemptive mission and it gives us incredible life-changing purpose for our lives. So the first thing about the kingdom of God is that it's now but not yet. The second thing and the final thing today is this, that the kingdom of God is both word and deed. As I said at the start of the service, it's show and tell. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. What did he teach them? He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom and he healed every disease and sickness. Now, when it comes to living out mission, I think uh, in Christendom in the last hundred years or so, we've had a really strong focus on the telling part. 
And we've been really good at it at times and we've been pretty poor at it at other times, but we've focused in on preaching and we've focused in on, uh, you know, Bible studies and often we've stood on a soapbox on a street corner and we've kind of yelled at people walking past, hoping that that will somehow to convince them to accept Christ and we've, you know, handed out tracts and perhaps we've done a lot of telling, but maybe not as much showing. I think this is where the missional movement has made some great contributions to our biblical understanding of mission. And since the missional movement kind of raised up a couple of decades ago, we've seen a lot more social justice and caring for the poor. And we've seen, you know, people serving and modeling faith. And I think the missional movement has caused the pendulum to swing like it had to. It's great when a pendulum swings, but what happens is often the pendulum swings and then it swings too far. And so what I've seen in in some of the missional movement is a whole lot of showing, but very little telling. We can be living out kingdom values and feel kind of warm and fuzzy about that and we can make a difference in people's lives practically, but at the same time never tell them about the king. I was reading a book that um, Tim uh, lent to me the other day. I was just reading it late last night when I should have been sleeping. And It's a book by Mark Driscoll called A Call to Resurgence and he sums it up pretty well. He says, For evidence, look no further than the church. Our secular but spiritual therapeutic culture combined with psychology and the professional counselling movement, has recast the church as a social service organisation that exists to do kind things, like feed people, provide aid to anyone outside the church and help hurting people within the church, all without judging or calling them to repentance of any sin in their lives. That's the approved, acceptable role of the church in the post-Christendom world. Lots of good works, little if any good news. Lots of relationships, little if any repentance. Lots of talk about institutional sin, little if any talk about personal sin. Lots of concern about suffering, but very little if any concern about eternal suffering. And so if we are a group of people on mission and we only ever tell or show or we only ever show and tell, we actually do people a great disservice and it's an incomplete view of mission. Jesus expressed the kingdom in both word and deed. This is why his miracles were so important, because they were a demonstration of the kingdom. They were a glimpse of a future reality. And so when Jesus turned the water into wine, he showed a glimpse of the kingdom where there's no lack. And in that kingdom, there's no disease. And so when Jesus healed those with leprosy, those who were blind, those who were lame and sick, he was demonstrating what the kingdom is like. They were getting a foretaste, a glimpse of a future kingdom in the now. When he met the clean Samaritan woman at the well, the unclean Samaritan woman. He demonstrated the unconditional love of the kingdom. That doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile or even a Samaritan dog, as they were called in those days. You can be part of this kingdom where every tribe, every tongue, every nation will worship around the throne of God. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he demonstrated a kingdom where there will no longer be any death. He was demonstrating in the now a not yet kingdom that captivated people's hearts. Now, sometimes I think we focus so much on what the miracles are and we think, well, I, I probably will never raise someone from the dead and perhaps I'll never turn water into wine, although I, I imagine you probably all want to do that. Um, but we probably won't do that and that's, that's, that's probably true. But sometimes we focus on what the miracles are and maybe we can't do those things or God won't use us to do those things. But what we can do is live in a way which we give people a glimpse of the future kingdom. On Wednesday night, the BUV ran a night for those in the region who have a desire to be innovative in the kingdom, in kingdom ways, and they asked me to be part of a panel. And one of my fellow panel members was a guy who runs a kingdom-minded cafe. 
And it's a cafe called Now But Not Yet. And it's a cafe where he seeks to model kingdom life. And he told a pretty powerful story of an interview he conducted recently with a young girl uh, and with a fellow worker. This young girl was looking for part-time work. And so he conducted this interview and, and he said it was the worst interview he's ever conducted. I mean, it absolutely bombed. There was no chance in most situations that this young girl was going to get a job. And towards the end of the interview, he turned to his fellow worker and then he turned to the girl and he said, when can you start? And the fellow worker sort of turned his head and looked at him as if, what on earth are you doing? And she said, well, I can start immediately. He said, well, you can start next week. And then when the girl left the room, the the fellow worker verbalized what he was thinking. He said, what on earth are you thinking? Why would we employ that girl? And he said, we have to employ that girl. And he said, why? And he said, because nobody else will. He took her on, discovered over time that she has Asperger's. And she may have some limitations, but she is brilliant with structures. She's brilliant at following instructions. She's become a great employee. And her mum came and saw the boss just a couple of weeks ago to, to thank him. She said that her daughter is like a completely different girl. She's grown in confidence. Her schooling has improved. She's happier than she's ever been before. And so here's this young girl who no one saw the potential in. This guy spotted some kingdom potential. She was isolated, lonely, struggling with confidence, but now she's been brought into a community a place to belong, a place where she's loved and accepted for who she is. And what we see in that situation is a glimpse of the not yet kingdom in the now. That's why I think the food van has been so effective. It's really been a case of show and tell. When Judy and Helen and others came to the van, they saw a demonstration of the kingdom where we feed hungry people and provide friendship for the lonely. And through that showing of the kingdom over time, it's opened up opportunities to tell about the king. And now there's several people who are following Jesus, Judy included. Judy was baptized in recent months. Helen's going to be baptized in coming weeks. And it's a great example of mission. I want to finish today by saying that if you're a Christian here today, you're on mission. If you live in this area... You are a missionary in the southeast of Melbourne. You're on a mission to your family. You're on a mission in your workplace. You're on a mission in your friendship circles, in your footy club, in the school, to the parents, at the kinder. And I pray that as we live as people on mission, that we would be captivated by the beauty of this kingdom. That we would have our hearts transformed by the king. And as we go and live out the gospel of this now but not yet kingdom, that our lives would be word and deed, Show and tell so that we journey with others so that they would also come to know the King. There's nothing better than living for Christ. There's nothing more um, powerful and a greater privilege than being a co-worker with the God who created the universe, who's redeeming all of creation. He invites you and I to be part of it. What an incredible privilege. So today at the end of the service, there's a bunch of tables down the back with things you can sign up Two, if you want to be involved in mission through this church, but I would encourage you more than that, to be people who open up every day in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit about how you can be on mission in your everyday life. Because there are people, like Justin has talked about today, and there's people in your life, in your workplaces, in your sphere of influence that we may never reach. But it's no accident that God's placed you there. And so as you go, with boldness, filled by his spirit. I pray that God would use us in and through us as a church and as individuals as we scatter to connect people back to the most dynamic, life-changing relationship 
through Christ with God. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Well, God, I just thank you so much for the fact that if we're Christians, we can say today that we have been saved. That you have literally taken us and you've pulled us out of the dark darkness and you've brought us into the incredible kingdom of your son, the kingdom of light. That you have made us the light of the world. Lord, we know that this is a dark world at times. But as we live, empowered by your spirit, as that light, Lord, I pray that the forces of darkness would be pushed back and that we would present people with a glimpse of your kingdom, your now but not yet kingdom. Lord, I pray that we'd be captivated by its beauty. I pray that we'd find our hope in you and in the kingdom you have promised. And Lord, we pray for people in this community that don't know you. Lord, I pray that as a church, that we would reach into our community with increasing impact as we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I pray for each person here, whether they're confident people or not confident people. Lord, you say, don't worry about the words to say. I'll give you the words to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And so I pray that we step out in faith, that we'd be bold enough not to hold this incredible news to ourselves, but we take the incredible news of the cross, that Jesus, he lived and he died on the cross and he took my sin and your sin upon himself. And he said, if you would trust in me, if you would receive what I have did done for you, you will be saved. And as we are saved, we are called to an incredible mission that gives us purpose in lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people on mission. Lord, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you. I pray that you would be speaking to their heart today. I pray that they would be captivated by this vision, this picture, this biblical presentation of the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray that they would see our lives and they would see a glimpse, an imperfect one, but a glimpse of a future kingdom that is yet to come. We thank you for this and we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.